When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. All right, Matt, this is going to be a real fun episode for people to listen to because they maybe haven't experienced it as much on this show as a lot of the other Matt Kelly hosted shows, but we're going to see how many different ways I can pronounce the name of this song Matt, throughout the you, you In talking about recording today, you texted me the wrong name of this song, and I didn't yeah. even bother to correct you because I wanted you to say it wrong in the show. So, Matt, what song are we talking about today? Mr. Papil? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was closer than what you said earlier. I which... think I spelled P-O-M-P-I-I. Yeah, you texted me Mr. Pompeii, yeah. like uh, the island where everyone died from the volcano. No, um, it's Mr. Popeil. 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 Right. I think I can nail this. He does say it in the song like a thousand times. A thousand times, but he says like, Mr. Popeil. Like if I say it like that, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm talking like a normal person, not so much. I, I hinted at this on Midnight Star, but I thought that this was about a made up person until we started right, to right, prepare right. for recording this episode. I'm like, oh shit, like he is, he is the guy. Like when you hear, but wait, there's more mm -hmm. or like set it and forget it. Like that's. Mr. Popeil, which is crazy. Like that that this person I had no clue about. You know what I mean? Like this is I guess this would be like talking to a kid in high school who would have no clue who the Sham Wow guy was. The Sham Wow guy or um 
what was the other guy? I know uh, he died, and I'm trying to remember his name. Is it Billy Mays? Yes, Billy Mays. He did like OxyClean. Yes, and stuff OxyClean. Like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, uh, definitely. Ron Popeil is the original uh, one of those guys, the original infomercial guy, and also had no clue that he like just died last year. Yes. Like, Yes. Like uh, when I was doing our research on it, because I did plenty of research on him. I just had to uh, because I had no clue that he was a real person. So like we like we said, he coined the phrase, said it and forget it. He popularized the phrase. But wait, there's more. Mm-hmm. Uh, his success in infomercials and memorable marketing personality uh, was part of American television and allowed him and his products to ava- appear in various popular media, including cameo appearances on The X-Files, Futurama, King of the Hill, The Simpsons, Sex in the City, The Daily Show, and The West Wing. And parodies of his infomercial were done on comedy shows like Saturday Night Live with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy, and then the Vegomatic with Gallagher, taken and turned into the Sledgeomatic. And the Vegomatic was invented by Ron's dad. Sam Popeil. Sam Popeil was his father, and he actually invented the Vegematic. And Ron, the son, was the one who like had the charisma to go out there and sell it on television. Gotcha. So the dad was the inventor. Yes. Sam was the whole family affair. This episode, we're going to get into all of this stuff. Yeah, because Ron's sister sings on this, right? Ron's sister, Lisa Popeil, is the person doing the. the backing vocals or the lead really this is kind of a co-lead we talked about this uh on uh ricky, we were talking about yeah. ricky how few songs al has where he is at any point not singing the lead and this is another one arguably like ricky that's kind of a duet really yeah the only other notes that i had tied to the vegematic obviously the biggest thing that uh the Pope peels provided the world was <laughs> veggie tales once did a parody of the <laughs> vegematic called the forgivomatic and professional wrestling team Midnight Express dubbed their finishing move the Vegomatic. He was voted by Self Magazine as one of the 25 people who changed the way we eat, drink, and think about food. And he's been referencing the music of Alice Cooper, Beastie Boys, and of course, Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah. Uh, leading us to this song, which you've got the history of who the song is about. But then, I mean, the other thing that we have to dive into to properly discuss the song is the B-52s who mm. I would say on this album, whereas the first album there was only maybe one or two style parodies and the rest were kind of straight originals, you could almost say the same with this album. It's a lot of just straight originals, but yeah. this is undeniably a style parody that well, this, he is going yeah, for with yeah. B-52s. And it's cool because <laughs> the other style parody really on this record was Buy Me a Condo, um, yeah. which is less of a... Well, I mean, it's a Marley thing, but it's also a reggae it was just, thing. It's, yeah, it was it's like a, a more genre. Exactly. It's yeah. a genre thing. This, I could say maybe this is the first real, truly sinking his teeth into it style parody of a single artist that he has yeah. ever done. At least one that people had heard of. I was going like, he the did first Tony album, OK, but like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a reach. Tony OK still obscure. Yeah. 30, 40 years after that album came out. Yeah, but this is really the dawn of the idea of like, I'm going to write a song in the style of someone you've heard of without actually just lifting um, the music from the original track exactly. And then it's almost no turning back from this point. I was going to say, this is huge. From this point on now, this becomes kind of pretty much standard operating procedure for Al. Yeah. 
the the ones that aren't inspired by another band is becomes the rarity exactly on the albums after this point there's yeah. maybe one an album that's like oh this is just al doing his thing yeah so before we even dive into the song i gotta ask you because i know my opinions but b-52s what are your feelings on the band oh boy i hope we agree on the b-52s but i know that they are divisive i love the b-52s a million percent and (laughs) and honestly i i know that they're a weird group and i at this point in time i feel like most people when they think of the b-52s if they think of anything at all they think of love shack which is which is so not what they are it's really not what they are and that's the sort of song where if you told me like oh my god i never have to hear love shack again in my life i get it i understand But the B-52s are are one of the most unique bands of all time, as far as I'm concerned. I, I this is it's hard to even verbalize or explain exactly what I'm getting at here. Like I, I almost feel like yeah, I, the the best way. So because I've had this issue before, where it's like I'm trying to express why I love this band, and people really only have. I would say one to three entrance points that yeah. they know of the B-52s. It's either Love Shack is the one that pretty much everyone knows. Yeah. Uh, the only other charting single they actually had was Rome yeah. off that same album. And then obviously the world of comedy has has made sure that Rock Lobster never truly dies in people's memories. Of course. But for me, it's like, if I'm trying to explain why I think the B-52s fucking rule... I play Private Idaho. I think that that yeah. song captures everything that makes this band so interesting because you've got this wicked guitar riff playing yeah. over the song. You've got this weird like like <laughs> background vocals, but then you're getting a really good balance of Fred Schneider's lead vocals with yeah. the the two women in the band's backup vocals. And then the keyboard stuff kicks in, and it's just like you get the whole picture of how strange this like '50s throwback surf new wave punk band was. Yeah, while also being like a queer rock bit, like one of the earliest like say, queer yeah. core bands. Yeah, like, th- th- these guys are really progressive, and also I, I the point I was dancing around earlier is like it is so hard. I can't even. There's no way to really verbalize how difficult it is to start a band and have your sound be so unbelievably unique that no one will ever mistake you for anybody else, ever. (laughs) And the B-52s, who have been around for, I guess it's like 50 years now, I mean, obviously they're- It's gotta be close, because it was like 78 or 79 was Rock Lobster, so we're getting there. So it's it's a long, long time, and obviously like their their most productive, uh, the most of their musical output has ended in like into the 90s, although they've been making records uh, for a while consistently, still consistently. Yeah. I don't think even any band, there's not many bands that have even tried to emulate the B-52s because you can't do it without, uh, uh, well, funny enough, we're going to try Doing this. Al. You can't do yeah. it without it seeming like a joke because yeah. their sound is so incredibly specific that any attempt to recreate it is obviously a ripoff. They are. I mean, I have so much respect. And another quick, like honestly, I could talk about the B-52s for one hour, but yeah. we won't do that. Go listen to, I mean, you said, like Rock Lobster was a minor hit when it came out. It didn't like yeah. do super well, but it's kind of stood the test of time. Like, listen to that song and imagine a world where anyone at a record label heard that and was like, 
Yeah, that sounds great. That's that's our single. I'm gonna share. I any chance I get to share this fun fact: the B-52s, Rock Lobster. It's on the record in an interview. <laughs> was the song that made John Lennon reform the Plastic Ono band? <laughs> really? Because because he. He broke him and Yoko broke up that band because they thought that the world wasn't ready for like the type of abstract avant-garde music that they were creating. But when he heard Rock Lobster, he was like, "These kids are clearly influenced by what Yoko and I were doing, and we need to bring this back." And at first, when I heard that, I'm like, "That sounds ridiculous." But then you listen to that second half of that song where they're just screaming out animal names and making like weird noises. And one of them is a straight up Yoko Ono. Yeah. Like la 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 like in the background. I'm yeah. like, oh I get it. He definitely and and clearly he didn't like like people in the two thousands listen to that song and hear a joke. He didn't. He was like, no. this is this is art and musicianship and abstract and strange and perfect. It's incredibly it's incredibly strange. And even by today's standards, <laughs> you listen to Rock Lobster, it's long, which funny enough, Al does in this song, and I really appreciate that it's not, he stretches it out. This is a long song because the B-52s yeah. do that. It just goes on and on. And it, it, I mean, I get, I, we should strive to, uh, like I want to live in a world where stuff as weird and interesting as Rock Lobster <laughs> or just the band, the B-52s, appear more often because honestly, man, there's like, you know, we all would benefit from having artists this original uh, in our lives more. And I love that they like in the 90s, you know, you and I probably if if Love Shack wasn't our first introduction to to the band, it was probably the Rocco's Modern Life theme song. Like, yeah, well past their their peak in popularity. They were still like cre- they were like the band for art. Yeah. You know, what I mean, like they were the artists band. So like you've got this dude making this abstract fucking nicktoon that felt like it shouldn't be on kids television and of course what band would he want doing of his course. theme song but the b-52s yeah. <laughs> like... yeah, yeah yeah exactly meanwhile in new jersey so marissa what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode well jackie let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy Ooh, and representation of marginalized people Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror we can point out the triangle boobs Talk about the blood splatter and, oh, the practical effects. Um, and also the male gaze. My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. Hey. Do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. Al is really nailing the Fred Schneider voice throughout this this episode uh, this song yeah it's <laughs> it's fantastic i mean this is uh, really uh, you know again not to overplay but especially at this point early on this is to me feels like a really really important track and that this is a the a great example of him studying this band learning their tricks and then wielding them himself and just nailing it like this yeah. is exactly 
you know, again, the lyrics are on the are goofier. But funny enough, compared to the B-52s, they're not that outlandish. I mean, if the B-52s wrote a song about infomercials, like it's oddly not totally inappropriate a subject matter for them. No, not not at all. I, I think where Al hits his strongest place in style parodies is with these weird bands. You know, think yeah. about it. Yeah. This, anytime that he's done Tony OK, yeah. Devo, They Might Be Giants, Talking mm-hmm. Heads, like when he's doing those bands that are already strange and out there, yeah. it he he kills it. And, and clearly, it feels like clearly all influences are to him at all times, right? Like not <laughs> yes. just in this context, like clearly things that are important to him just as a young musician and songwriter. Yeah, and and those are definitive the the five artists that I just named, like those are all artists where those songs don't even feel like joke songs no. about that band. They feel like songs that that band would have written. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, exactly. like even the Talking Heads one, like yeah, it, you know, it's I, I believe that one's Dog Eat Dog on yes. Polka Party, right? And he's talking about the mundaneness of like office life, but like that's totally a topic that Talking Heads would write a song about. Like, it definitely is, yeah. Dare to be stupid hits all of the type of lyrical themes that a Devo song would be about. Like, yeah. everything you know is wrong has all of the bizarre <laughs> wordplay that makes you love a They Might Be Giant song. Like, it's. He when he's playing with those bands that are already out there and strange, you can almost feel like similarly to like um how everyone says like De Palma's just been like making movies about how badly he wishes he could be Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> like I feel yeah. like when Al's covering those or doing those songs, it really feels like if I couldn't be Weird Al Yankovic, yeah. I would want to be your band. And <laughs> like, and, and he could be. Like that's yeah. the other. He is talented enough, and he knows his shit well enough that he could do this. Like, um, this is, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I we haven't even really started getting into the song itself yet, but like, I just can't say enough. Like, this is masterfully done. This yes. is this is really, really, really impressive. And he, and uh, I mean, as much as we're pr- showering praise on Al, you also have to throw that praise on on specifically Jim West, but the whole band. But Jim West is nailing that yeah. iconic B fifty twos guitar sound. Yes, yeah, he <laughs> like, really is. Um, like this is that inter- is another one of those. Like you said, like a band that you know who it is when you hear it. Like that guitar, mm-hmm. especially in those early B fifty twos albums, no one else sounds no, like that. Incredibly guitar. distinctive. <laughs> like, incredibly distinctive. I was just gonna say this is. And I should know this, and I actually don't. Um, so at this point in Al's career, I believe, is he the one playing all the keyboards? I think that that is still I think accurate, he is, yes. right? Yeah, 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 I thought so. Um, because uh, he tours with uh, with Ruben, but I don't think you know, this was this predates that time period for him. He wouldn't have had uh, uh, Ruben on this record. Yeah, no, I agree. This is definitely a little before that. Um, I can double check real quick though because that is not hard to do. I am doing in that too. Age. <laughs> Weird Al in 3D personnel, uh, synthesizers, piano, and accordion. Weird Al Yankovic. So yeah, this is still him nailing. So he's nailing those keyboard parts also. So like there, it's it's Ruben, a great. Ruben joined effort. the band in 1991. Al was doing all the keys himself up until that point. There it is. That's insane. That's yeah. insane. So. That makes sense. So yeah, again, another great example, like all those like Farfisa sounds. Like this is just a really, really super accurate, 
you know, we, we talked about how like the first record and, and portions of this as well, like early on, they were not as focused on the, the sound engineering side of it in the same way, like the perfect sonic matchups of the parodies, whether they be straight parodies or style parodies. And this is a very impressive sound alike recording of the B-52s. All the tones are there. Um, Al does do the Fred Schneider voice really, really well. As a side note, I realized like a few episodes ago, I said something about like how Al doesn't usually change his voice to accommodate a parody. I don't know what I was talking about. He does yeah. that all the time. <laughs> um, well, and this is a later, prime, prime example. I think it's in the later albums. When he gets to the later albums, like he just goes for his nasally Weird Al voice, but these early records, he absolutely is like, I'm yeah. going to try to sound like, like I'm going to try to sound like Fred Schneider. Mm-hmm. And I mean... I posted a tweet that I still to this day think was the best tweet I've ever written, <laughs> which was that I want to hear the B-52s cover Bring Me to Life by Evanescence. I think that that oh would my be God. like, because I'm just like, wake me up. Like, it's <laughs> like the, I love it. I think it's amazing. I, th- I think if we can shame, if we can shame Weezer into covering Toto for us, I think we can get the, uh, B-52s, can get the B-52s to do this. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> you're probably right. The B-52s supposedly are going out. They're touring this year and they're saying that that's going to be it for them. Um, Ooh, so then I might have got, to go to that. <laughs> we got one chance left to get them on board for this plan. I just imagine that that show has got to be some of the most fun shit that you could go and see live. I heard from, I've actually never seen the B-52s either. I have friends who went, you know, I'm not going to name names because I don't want to slam anybody, but you know, B-52s have done a lot of the sort of touring where it's like them and one other band, like, you know, the legacy, like 70s, 80s yeah. music tours. And I've heard of people going to see the B-52s with other acts and a couple of them, all I ever heard from anybody was that the B-52s made whoever they were out with looked stupid with how good they were. Because <laughs> the B-52s just destroyed the place and the other artist could not possibly, you know, come close B- to matching the close. energy and the fun. I feel like that's got to be part of why Al either never has an opener or his opener is just a stand-up comedian. Because yeah. it's like, how how are you like... Like let me let me paint a scenario for you. Yeah. Weird Al hits up Weedus and says, "Hey, do you guys want to do some tours?" <laughs> I mean, that's got to be a tough one, right? Because you know that you're going to be playing for your ideal audience, but you know that also whatever you do stage-wise and you guys put on a very good stage show yeah. is going to look like small potatoes when like the Al production comes out immediately afterwards. Like how we, how could we not do that? That would be the craziest thing in the world to turn down. (laughs) We'd have to do it. But yeah, no, it's always intimidating to, to travel with. I will say as the opener, you're in a better spot. It's the, the problem, like, the issue is when you're the headliner and you get upstaged by your opener. Oh, oh yeah, like if Al is opening for Weedus. Exactly, yeah. So I should have said that better. The B-52s were on first, and then it was another oh, act see, after that. I just imagine that there would never be a scenario no. where the B-52s aren't the headliner. No, in all show. of these moments, I mean, the B-52s were huge, but I think they went out with bands who had more higher charting songs, you know? so That's a shame. Yeah, like, yeah, that, yeah. But, but yeah, I can, I've, I've heard, I mean, I'll name names. I don't care. I don't think that this is quite the same. But I've had friends who, like, they went and saw, you know, because you get, like, those 90s nostalgia tours sure. that roll around all the time. And they went to one that it was, like, uh, Matchbox 20 and the Counting Crows. Mm-hmm. And they essentially went to see the Counting Crows. They're like, we love the Counting Crows. They're, like, one of our favorite bands. We've never seen them live. Yeah. And they're like, we're begrudgingly going to sit through Matchbox 20. And then I asked them afterwards, and they're like, Matchbox 20 is one of the most entertaining live bands we've ever seen, <laughs> and we left midway through Counting Crows because wow. they change up their songs way too much for us to enjoy it. 
And I've there heard that be a, I mean, that is usually, depending on who you are, that is a bug or a feature to seeing <laughs> Counting Crows Live is that they are still in their core a jam band first. So like... That sounds if like you've... people who go see Bob Dylan nowadays and are just like, yes. it was two hours <laughs> of unrecognizable music. And at some point you hear him go, how does it feel? You're like, oh shit, <laughs> he's doing that song. <laughs> I didn't realize that's I mean I I get it I I would be upset too as a person who loves to sing along yeah. to songs yeah, and like yeah, when yeah. they change it up and I can't keep up anymore I'm like oh no <laughs> yeah but what are your thoughts on this song ultimately I know we didn't really break down the song itself but really in my opinion anyway the art of this song isn't even in the lyrics it's just on how pitch perfect the style is being nailed throughout it yeah I mean I think it's yeah, it, the, the style of it is great. I mean, the lyrics, it's just all this like infomercial style delivery of everything, which perfectly suits the Fred Schneider type character with the mm-hmm. uh, with the lady backing vocalists, who again, as we said, is Lisa Popeil. Another interesting side note, really quick. Apparently, Lisa Popeil um, was a... Al met her through this because he heard she was a singer. It was like, oh, that would be fun to have her sing on this track about her brother. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and she actually gave Al vocal lessons. Oh. Because <laughs> Al, this is early in his career, and he was having a problem that a lot of new, newly professional young singers have, where every night on stage he was completely blowing out his voice because he didn't know how to sing in a way that like preserved his vocal cords. And she basically taught him how, how he had to relearn how to sing with her direction. Um so that his voice was like more suited to the road and that's uh, awesome repeated singing so she has been a friend for a long time lisa also um went out with al on the strings attached tour which was between these two vanity tours where he went out with a full orchestra and she went out and did bvs with him for i think the first time ever actually oh, on that's the road. amazing so they are still uh friends to this day which is super super cool i can't imagine we've and we've talked about this before with other artists as well, but like, I just can't imagine anyone who's met Al walking away with bad blood towards Al. Oh, it yeah. just seems like he's so likable. Oh, and yeah. so, so likable. I mean, while we're doing, one of the biggest reasons why we're doing this is to a, to a certain extent, like both of us are passionate about music. You as a, you as a career and me as a, just a listener of yeah. music. And, you know, not that he's disrespected, but, if this if this podcast even just shines a little bit of light on like someone who just knows Al for the occasional parody that really blows up in the mainstream, I hope that that they look back and go, "Holy shit, this is one of the all time <laughs> greats." You yeah, know? Like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But the big question is, where are we gonna where are we gonna rank this? I I am I think I have mine. I think I have mine too. I don't know if I'm going to regret this later, but I'm putting it between I'll Be Mellow and Midnight Star. Okay. I was going to say, if you don't put this above Buy Me a Condo, <laughs> I'm going to think you're insane. Um, <laughs> mine's kind of close to where you're at. I actually put it just below Midnight Star. Okay. The only reason being that as dope as this is, as much as he kills this, like it is him doing the B-52s yeah. and he's doing a really good job. But like it makes me want to listen to more B fifty twos immediately after. Whereas sure. like Midnight Star, I'm just like, give me more of that good, good Al in the veins. Like I think that that is probably that may end up being the number one best example for me of Al just doing an original song as Al. 
is Midnight Star. That song is incredible to me. It, but this is it's a strong right. contender. I mean, it is really interesting, especially as we continue, because like I said, this is sort of like a marker. This song of from the next record on, we start to get way more style parodies. Yes, like more like straightforward Odin style specific. parodies. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and uh, this does draw a line in an interesting way. It's hard to compare in some ways. It's hard to compare something like Midnight Star to this because the style parody element does uh, change Shift the calculus a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's a different thing to consider is like not just how well written his song is, but how solid the style parody itself is. Um, but for me on both fronts, and I guess I, my B-52's fandom is showing as well, but that's fine. I just think this is, I think this is one of the more accurate and kind of flawless style parodies he has ever done. For sure. Hey, we both got it in our top three. That's a, yeah, that's, there you go. I'm, I'm all for it. Meanwhile, in New Jersey. So Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 